0: Good morning, good morning, Uh, my name is Fred, I'm one of the Hillcrest pastors, and uh, Merry Christmas to all of you. Uh, Jim and Gene were up here earlier and uh, lit the candle for peace. When you think of peace in your life, what kinds of things come to mind? I, for me, I think of things like comfort and security, health, harmony, simplicity, quiet, rest. That's peace for me. We spend so much time and money and energy in our lives in the pursuit of those kinds of aspects of peace throughout our lives. In fact, just recently, I did some refreshing in my office. I painted an accent wall, thank you very much, (laughs) and I hung up some fresh pictures of our family and it is a very peaceful, comfortable place for me to spend time. We'll do almost anything to find peace in our lives. Have you seen the movie The Nightmare Before Christmas? It's the story of a character named Jack Skellington, who is the pumpkin king of Halloween Town. And one day after Halloween, he's out and about and he stumbles upon Christmas Town. And he's so enthralled by this idea of Christmas that he schemes to come in and take over the Christmas holiday in Christmas Town. In fact, he sends some of his top trick or treaters to go to Christmastown and kidnap Sandy Claus and take him to Halloween Town and give him a vacation from his normal Christmas responsibilities that year. So Jack Skellington then puts together a sleigh filled with all these ghoulish gifts pulled by skeleton reindeer, led by his ghostly dog Zero and his bright. Shining nose, so they can find their way. And they make it to Christmas town with these the sleigh and all of these gifts. And instead of spreading Christmas cheer, Jack Skellington inadvertently spreads terror and mayhem at every house he visits. Eventually, the townspeople are so horrified by what's going on and wondering where is Santa Claus that they literally Shoot down his sleigh out of the air, and he comes crashing down to the ground. Jack's plans and schemes had resulted not in success and glory and fame for himself, but rather in the brink of destruction for both Christmas Town and Halloween Town. And he lays on the ground, literally reflecting and lamenting, and he sings a song with this line that says why does nothing ever turn out like it should yeah now I can relate to Jack Skellington I'm a planner I like to plan and I find peace when there's a plan and I find peace when I at least have the illusion that I'm actually in control of the plan that I have. Because when those plans and when that control is disrupted, I too find myself often anxious and stressed, not filled with peace. Maybe some of you can relate when these kinds of things happen that don't go according to your plan, like illness or injury, a downturn in the stock market, maybe even a layoff, not- a layoff notice, or in some of the most important relationships in your life, you find yourself in, in strife. Maybe there are times in your life when you might sit and reflect and lament those very same words, why does nothing ever turn out like it should? So as we continue this Christmas Advent theme around the theme of the change in perspective that changed everything, I encourage you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1, where we're going to read about the birth of Jesus through the eyes of Joseph. When you think of Joseph, by all accounts, he was an upstanding man in the town of Nazareth in Galilee. He was recently betrothed to a godly young maiden named Mary. All was on the right track in his life, if you think about it. He was looking forward to being married. He was desiring to start a family. He wanted to continue in his trade and earn some respect in his community and society. And in that moment, God invited him into something else. Let's pick up and read in Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, just put yourself in Joseph's shoes or his his sandals, if you will. He's got everything planned out in front of him. And all of a sudden, in that moment, he finds out, however it happened, that Mary is pregnant and he had nothing to do with it. Can you hear him asking the question... God, why does nothing ever turn out like it should? And it was in that moment, and this is our big idea for today, that Joseph needed a change in perspective in order to experience true peace from God. And that's for us too. We need a change in perspective in order to experience this true peace from God. Let's pick up in verse 20. But as he, Joseph, considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Let's drop down to verse 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. But he knew her not until he had given birth to a son, until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So in that moment, the angel brought a change in perspective that changed everything. Because in our lives, it's easy to experience peace in things and plans and people and circumstances when everything is going well, right? Right? That's easy. The difficult part is experiencing this true peace of God, no matter what is going on around us. So, I want to offer you five ways that God gives us to help us change our perspective and experience this true peace of God. First of all, God gives true peace through the prophets. Through the prophets. I love the fact that we have four different gospel accounts of the birth of Jesus. Because as we look at Joseph, if we consider the whole story that he experienced of in all these different gospels, we get an even better appreciation of just how differently Joseph's life played out from what he had planned. I mean, it's unreal, right? I mean, first of all, he learns that she's pregnant. And then Joseph and Mary travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem because in response to that census. And then after Jesus is born, they go from Bethlehem up to Jerusalem to present Jesus at the temple. Then back to Jerusalem where they're there for a time when suddenly they're visited by the wise men that we learned about last week. And then off to Egypt, some 80 miles to the west where they spend some time there, And then they return back towards Bethlehem, but then get diverted to go right back up to Nazareth, their hometown, where this all began some years earlier. In that whole crazy journey, poor Joseph, (laughs) he needed God to speak to him through an angel in a dream, not once, not twice, not three times, but four times times along the way and Matthew as he accounts for that beautifully shows us that by connecting all of these different dreams and these events that he was experiencing with the prophets who had written these things about these things hundreds of years earlier it shows that this was God's plan all along so let's look at these four dreams dream number 1 we've already read about this chapter 1 verse 20 but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, Matthew takes that and connects it back to the prophet Isaiah, where this was written some 700 years earlier, right in that next verse, verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So from there, he travels down to Jerusalem or to Bethlehem, then up to Jerusalem, then back to Bethlehem, and that's where we see dream number two. It says, Now when they, the wise men, departed from Bethlehem, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Matthew takes that and he connects it back to the prophet Jeremiah some six hundred years earlier. Chapter two, verse 16, Matthew writes, "Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old and under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel, weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Some time goes by when they are in Egypt, and then we hit dream number three. Verse 19, it says, But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead." And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. Matthew then connects this back to the prophet Hosea. Again, some 700 years before this, verse 15, this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, saying, out of Egypt I called my son. So now they're on their way back to Judea and he gets one more dream Verse 22, but when he heard, Joseph heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there and being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. Matthew connects us in the next verse. He says, and he, Joseph, went and lived in a city called Nazareth so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled that he, Jesus now, would be called a Nazarene. So all this crazy running around, all these dreams. For Joseph, in that moment, there did not seem to be any rhyme or reason as to what was going on. But even despite that, we can now look back and see that God spoke through the prophets from long ago, revealing God's perfect plan hundreds of years in advance. So this explains all these crazy travels and it provides further proof through these fulfilled prophecies that this baby was indeed the Christ. So Matthew shows us that God gives true peace through these fulfilled prophecies of the prophets. Second, God gives true peace through the paraclete Does anyone know who the paraclete is? The Holy Spirit. Spirit. That's right. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says this. Jesus is about ready to go to the cross and then later to ascend to heaven. He says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, it says. And that's the Greek word paraclete. I will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. So I love here this use of this word paraclete to describe the Holy Spirit. It means our helper, our comforter, a, a, a source of true peace with us and in us, especially in times when nothing ever turns out like it should. Also, this word paraclete begins with the letter P and it helps me keep the alliteration across every point of my sermon. So I was really (laughs) thankful for that. So God gives us true peace through the paraclete as as we obey his teaching, as we receive his comfort, as we move forward with the strength and the comfort and the help that he provides us. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, Paul wrote in Ephesians 5, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. And I I, I love this illustration that Paul uses because he's kind of saying, be under the influence of the Spirit. Be filled by the Spirit and allow it to affect everything that you do. And when we are filled and influenced by the Spirit in this way, things change and, and, and we, we bear fruit. Paul writes about this in Galatians chapter 5. He says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Peace. So God gives true peace through the paraclete. Third, God gives true peace through his promises. There's so much peace to be found in the promises in God's word. The psalmist writes this in Psalm 119. Princes persecute me without cause. Now just stop there for a second. Whoever's writing this is not experiencing a lot of circumstantial peace in his life. Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble." And God's word is filled with promises that bring us true peace. This true peace of God. Because unlike people, God always keeps his promises. Let me share one of those promises with you. Remember this one? Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29. And we know. We know, this is a promise, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called to His, according to His purpose, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. In other words, God takes all these things that happen to us and around us, even and perhaps especially the things that happen that were not part of our plan, and he uses them for good, it says. So the question is, what's the good? Is it for our own comfort and health and prosperity? No. The good is that through and in all these things, God helps us to become more like Jesus. Conformed to his image, mature and complete, lacking in nothing, as James writes. When my plan doesn't work out, God's plan is to test me and to help me grow my faith and trust, to strengthen me by the power and the presence of the helper, the comforter, to shape me, to resemble and to reflect Jesus more and more. He's promised us that. And in the midst of those times, that give us, gives us true peace through these promises in his word. We talk about everyday meeting time with God. Have you been able to spend some time everyday meeting time with him lately, time to sit and read from his word, to reflect, to respond, to pray. Some have called God's word, the Bible, his letter for us. Some, I've even heard it called his love letter for us. This summer I was cleaning out my garage and I, I came across a box of memorabilia that were back from my days in college. And as, as I opened up that box, I found uh, letters. This was back in the time where people would actually get a pen and paper out and, and would write a letter and fold it. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> fold, fold them up, put it in an envelope, put a stamp in there. Upper right corner, I think, for the stamp, right? And put it through the mail. And so I had all these letters that... My mom, my my grandmother, my my great-aunt, who was another grandmother for us, um, had written to me when I was away at college. And it was such a blessing. My my grandmother and my my great-aunt have passed away, and so to see these letters again in their handwriting... oh Do I have to be done preaching already, Jeff? Okay. Dang it. (laughs) I saw these letters, and I was so blessed to hear their encouragement again, to hear stories of what was going on back at home. Even my great aunt, she'd say, here's a gift, don't tell your brothers. Um, it was just really a blessing to see that. And how about sitting down and grabbing God's word, his love letter for us, and sitting down in that same way? Not out of obligation or, or not out of obedience, but just as a time to sit. your Father and read His letters for you. Because in there, you'll find some of these promises that we can find peace. Fourth, God gives true peace through desperate and dependent prayer. Now, this goes back a ways. Does anybody remember a guy named David Barnes here at the church? Bondius. Bondius. Yep, that's David Barnes. He loved to go around and he would ask people, hey, Do you know God's phone number? Does anybody know God's phone number? It's Jeremiah 33 3. It says this He says, Call to me, and I will answer you, and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. This prayer, this communication with God, is part of that everyday meeting time, too taking time to call out to God, to express worship and adoration, to confess your sins, to give thanksgiving, to ask of Him. Now, my favorite passage in all of Scriptures, perhaps one that we could certainly spend a whole sermon on, has helped me time and time again to find this true peace in prayer. It's Philippians 4, 6, and 7. And it says this, Do not be anxious about anything. (sighs) Wow. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When nothing ever turns out like it should, instead of anxiety, we can find peace as we cry out to God, worshiping Him in this posture of thanksgiving for His love and His grace and His mercy. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more We know He's in control. We know He is never surprised by anything that happens to us. And for me, when I can trust Him that much in whatever's going on in my life, when I believe His promises, when He says that all things work together for good, when I read of his everlasting faithfulness to his, his people and his word, when I hear your stories of his faithfulness in your lives, there is peace. Peace that, honestly, when I hear your stories, it goes beyond my understanding of how you can find that peace in what you experience. This is peace that helps to guard our hearts and minds, fight off anxiety and doubt and hopelessness and anger and frustration. For me, it's usually in times when I just simply didn't get what I wanted or what I thought would make me truly happy. And that brings us to our final point. God gives true peace through the Prince of Peace. We can experience this peace of God, but only because of peace with God and only through the Prince of Peace. Friends, on our own, our sin separates us from God. And the Bible describes us in that state as spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins deserving of the righteous wrath of God towards us as justice, as the just punishment for what we deserve because of our sins against God. Have you ever seen this bumper sticker T-shirt? It's kind of a play on words. It's so appropriate. Read the the red first. No Jesus, no peace. No Jesus no peace. Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 5, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This word justified is, a, is kind of a churchy word that, that essentially means that by grace through faith in Jesus, it's just as if I'd, never sinned that's how God sees me in Christ because my debt has been forgiven my penalty has been paid by Christ on the cross and it was this Jesus who went to the cross on my behalf on our behalf he offers this kind of peace to us He said this in John chapter 16. He says, I have said these things to you that in me, in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, lots and lots of trouble. (laughs) But take heart, he said, I have overcome the world. So we need a change in perspective through the prophets. The Paraclete, God's promises, this desperate and dependent prayer, and through the Prince of Peace to experience this true peace of God. It was back in the spring of the year 2000 that Jennifer and I were not experiencing very much of this circumstantial peace in our lives. We had 3 kids, ages 4, 3, and 1, and just learned that number 4 was on the way. We lived in a small two-bedroom home on Dewey Street, just a couple of blocks down the road this way. And we at that point in time had accumulated over $83,000 of credit card and medical and student loan debt. Jennifer had her hands full with the kids and I was working hard running our house cleaning business. We worked hard trying to pay down some of that debt and then we decided it would be a good idea to go into more debt and so we bought a duplex where we would live in one side, it had enough space for us and we would rent out the other side and so we thought this would actually be a really good way an investment to one day help these little kids uh, get through college when they got older. And that was in 2002. By 2004, that duplex value had increased by over $70,000. dollars woo Wow, that's incredible. We were geniuses. In fact, we were so smart, we had this idea, hey, let's take and take some of that equity and borrow against it and use it as a down payment on a single-family home right next door to our duplex. Because if one property made us that rich, two properties would be even more genius, right? And in 2008, things didn't turn out like it should. And we lost over $150,000 of equity in those two properties and that made it pretty clear to us that our plan to help our kids financially through college uh, had failed. And to add insult to injury, that same year the windows in the duplex were rotting out so we had to spend $7,000 for new windows. And shortly after that I realized I'd made a mistake on my income taxes two years in a row so I had to send ten dollars unexpectedly to the IRS. So our plan for financial success was not working out so well. But as I reflect back on that journey, oh man, I can so much better see now what God had planned. Because in the midst of all that, in 2009, we had a new neighbor move in next door. His name was Brian. And he just happened to be the new Oregon School District Superintendent. And as we got to know him, he he was intrigued by what Jennifer was doing down in our basement with with what we called Schmidt Academy, Schmidt Scholar right there. Jennifer teaching math and language arts to all these homeschool kids using uh, some online curriculum in that process. And he was interested in that. And so I remember this day, I still don't know how it happened, but one day, the whole Oregon school board came to our house and went down into the basement to check out what Jennifer was up to. And they were so impressed by that that Brian said, hey, can you come? Can we hire you as a consultant to come and help us get this online education stuff up and off the ground? And a few years later, she was hired to be that full-time online blended learning coordinator for the district all because Brian moved in next door. Well, that bumped Jennifer from part-time income to full-time income and, by golly, helped provide a way for us financially to help our kids through college. But so much more than just the money stuff, God's plan is so perfect because this has led to Jennifer Having some incredible opportunities for relationships with students and staff at the high school over these last 10 years. It's also given her a voice to speak about her faith and about truth and about her Christian worldview and an opportunity to live that out as an everyday missionary as she works so hard and she loves these kids and her colleagues so much. God's plan was so much better than anything that we could have planned or imagined. It's amazing. And even after all of that, I'm still a knucklehead. You think I'd learn, right? Well, back to the duplex for a second. For about two years, we'd been thinking about selling it. And I was extremely anxious and stressed out about that decision. I was trading this steady monthly rental income for one-time gain. You know, the real estate market was strong, but if we wait, maybe it'll get a little bit stronger. But if we wait, maybe it would get weaker. We had one of our kids and her husband, they said, hey, maybe in a couple of years we'd like to buy that and move in and use it as an investment property for us. And so, oh man, we could have our kids next door, but Oh, what if they don't buy it? And what if they buy it and something breaks? You know, all these things were going on in my mind. All these questions and anxiety and, oh man, I could show you numbers and spreadsheets and hours of conversations with Jennifer and many, many prayers. I was asking God for wisdom to make the best decision I could. And then through a change in perspective, I found peace this true peace of God. Because I had a moment, and I will never forget realizing that whether we sold it now or sold it later, whether the market went up or whether it went down, no matter what, I had peace and trust in God and in His perfect plan for me, for us as a family, to, to test us and grow us and provide for us, all for our good and ultimately for His glory And his fame. I had this change in perspective and experienced true peace of God. Let me offer you a couple of takeaways from here. Today we are in some difficult financial times. I was at uh, the food store, grocery store this week, and I was shocked to see a dozen eggs for over $5. Wow! So one practical way to experience more peace with your finances is by taking this Financial Peace University class put on by Dave Ramsey and his colleagues. This will really help you build some, some godly and biblical principles in your finances, help you to be the best steward you can of these resources God has given to you, and help you plan for the future. I, I, I've been through it. I cannot recommend it enough. And to sign up for this class, look for that in your, in your e-news coming up, in social media. Uh, Megan Hamlet will be teaching this um, in her home on Mondays in, starting in January. And Megan's got a great financial story of her own uh, that she'd love to share with you. So I would encourage you to sign up for that. But remember, even practicing the baby steps even having a six-month emergency fund on hand, even, even more than having millions of dollars in retirement funds, even Dave Ramsey knows that that can't bring this kind of peace of God that we're talking about. In fact, every day he closes his show and says, remember there's ultimately only one way to financial peace and that's to walk daily with the Prince of Peace, Christ Jesus. Second takeaway is I want to again encourage you to have this everyday meeting time with God. Take time to sit and open his letter. Read, learn, reflect, pray. We even have some uh, everyday meeting stickers for you out in the lobby if you want to grab one and take it home as a a reminder uh, and an encouragement for you to make that time a priority. And one final takeaway Have the courage to ask the question, God, what are you inviting me into today? God, what are you inviting me into today? And I say, have the courage to do that because when our plans are set, like Joseph, we never know just what God might invite us into instead. So let's all stand together and pray to close and then to sing a final song together. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask for your help for us to experience this true, everlasting peace from you through your word, your spirit, and through your son, Jesus, the Prince of Peace. God, what are you inviting us into today. Whatever that is, wherever that takes us, help us to live with a peace that transcends all understanding and a peace that proclaims in every moment of our lives on earth, no matter what is going on around us, that it is well with our soul.